Welcome to the High Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Blackburn. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to producer, recording engineer, and drummer extraordinaire, Colin Lester Fleming. Colin, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. How are you today, Derek? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm having a great day today. And um, it's a beautiful day. Fall is around the corner. Just had a great event last night with AES as well. We had like an event at uh, Dorset Hall in uh, Dorchester and just had a really great time. Saw a lot of people out. Yeah, I'm just, I'm right in the high of being around others. (laughs) (laughs) The extrovert high. Yeah, the extrovert high. That's true. That's great, man. I'd really love to just kind of get into it and get to know you and what your background is. How did you get started as a musician? What was it like when you were growing up? Did you take formal lessons or what was your initial interest like in? Totally. So I started uh, pretty young. I started in fifth grade. I was always a music lover. Well, I guess I started as a musician even before that because My dad was a huge music lover. He actually had a pretty awesome hi-fi that I didn't realize how awesome it was at the time. Uh, He had like switchers and like it sent audio through the whole house and like different rooms. And he had a whole situation for his CD player and record player. Uh, And so the music was always around and I always loved music and I always, you know, loved what he played. It was a lot of classic American singer songwriter stuff uh back in the day 60s and 70s um but uh so there's music always around so i was always a music lover uh in terms of me being a music performer i was a benefactor of an excellent school system uh, growing up i grew up outside of chicago in the suburbs uh, and we had great band programs throughout my elementary school junior high and high school and so in fifth grade i was really into the movie rudy and rudy has a killer soundtrack and score that features a really great orchestral score And I was really into it. And so when it came time in fifth grade to try out different instruments, we got to try two instruments. And so I chose violin because of the score. And I chose drums just because, you know, being a fifth grader, wanting to hit stuff with sticks. I tried violin. I was terrible. I was really, really bad. Even the band director was like, yeah, you probably shouldn't play that instrument. (laughs) You know, they handed you a violin for a sec and that was it. Uh, and then he handed me some drumsticks and I, I had fun and I really enjoyed it. And it was free to join the band program at school. You just went in the mornings twice a week to go play in the wind ensemble. Uh, and you also got during school lessons once a week. So you had like a half hour group lesson with four or five different kids. And so I grew up or I went through fifth and sixth grade really into that. I really liked the social aspect. I really liked playing music, learning how to read music. And then seventh and eighth grade came where we go to a different school and that was a different band director. She was great, but she was also much more of the classic kind of stuffy band director that did not like it when we made more noise than we had to. And so that was probably the closest I ever came to like not doing music. But of course it was like, a you know, my best friends were in the percussion section. And so uh, I just stuck it out. And then once I got into high school, we had a really great band director, um, Matt Moore. And he uh, was also a drummer. Uh, he was like a jazz guy. Uh, and he had a really great band program. There was four different levels of kind of how far you wanted to go. There was like the intro, you know, concert band, they called it for freshmen. Um, and then there was two intermediary ones. And then there was the Wind Symphony, which was the top one. And Mr. Moore just spoke of it really highly and they did really great things. And I 
you know, had a little ambition, I guess, as a, a freshman in school. And that's when I decided I wanted to take it seriously. And I really wanted to make the Wind Symphony and like really be good at it. Also, there was Drumline, and I really wanted to do Drumline just because. Yeah, that's huge, the right? Mo- the, mov- the movie Drumline had just come out, and so I was <laughs> very into that. But so I was taking lessons at the time, uh, private lessons, uh, one-on-ones, and um, I was doing two different types of lessons. Um, I was doing the ones at school, which were like percussion, and I started then also doing drum set lessons, and that was outside of school because they didn't have that at the high school. Uh, and I remember going to my symphonic one-on-one teacher uh, Mike Kazakis and he was he subbed with the Chicago Symphony and played at Ravinia and he was really doing the freelance percussionist thing I just want to mention that Ravinia in Chicago is a outdoor venue very similar to Tanglewood in the Berkshires here in New England uh and it was sophomore year I'd gotten into Wind Symphony but I wanted to like take it to the next level like I really liked what I was doing and I liked seeing that practicing made me better And, you know, it was a very clear, like, thing, like, practice these things, get better, and then make it into better ensembles, do better things. Um, And he, you know, saw that I was really into it. And, you know, I I worked and I practiced a lot. And so he recommended that I check out the uh, Wheaton Municipal Band. Uh, And the Wheaton Municipal Band is this group in Wheaton, Illinois, that meets, they do 10 concerts every week every week during the summer. And it's a, a classic like amateur group. It's made up of mostly like band directors, folks that want to play during the summer. And so it's a really actually great group. Um, you have to audition to get in. And the cool thing about the Wheaton Band was that you would rehearse 10 new pieces Wednesday night for three hours, and then Thursday you would perform them. And so it was like a very quick turnover and you have to be like really present and you know care about what you're doing and get into it. And also you get paid you get like 150 bucks for uh, a rehearsal and a performance which you know for a junior in high school was pretty awesome uh and so that was my first time getting paid to play music i auditioned for the wheaton municipal band i got in i did two summers with them uh and then i got to junior year i think that must have been junior year uh and my teacher also recommended that i check out the chicago youth symphony which is like a, you know, citywide orchestra that, you know, folks audition in the whole state to get in. And that was like the first like serious audition that I took. Uh, And I did two seasons with them and they, you know, we went to Europe to play 10 shows and we played Symphony Hall in Chicago, uh, which was huge for me. Super cool. And then I went to college originally to be, uh, I went to Boston University I auditioned and um, got in and went to BU to study orchestral percussion performance. That was going to be my major. That was going to be like the career track. BU was a very like audition prep school. And so it was just practice. Like That's all you do. And the folks right. in the symphony were in the Boston Symphony. We had two of the, uh, we had the timpanist from the BSO and also uh, another percussionist uh, teaching there and so it was just a very audition prep school and it was a very intense program uh, and that's where I really got to know like kind of the orchestral world and it didn't end up totally being my thing it's a very you know all the power to the folks that play that music and do that thing but um, it's a very specific type of person that will practice you know 12 hours Definitely. a day doing like soft rolls and then like medium soft rolls and then kind of soft rolls and then soft plus rolls. It's like, you're really in the nitty gritty of performing. Um, but there's very little, uh, creative outlet in that world. It's just, you know, 
playing sheet right. music, playing music somebody yeah. else wrote, how a conductor wants to hear it. And, you know, that's great and awesome, but just it was, it really kind of bummed me out. And also the, the folks in the program, it was, you know, because we're all auditioning for the same jobs eventually. And, you know, you're in walking through practice rooms and people can hear you and you can hear other people. And so it was just, it was a very, I don't want to say cutthroat because folks aren't not nice, but um, there's a definite undertow of how good are you? You know, what, what's your rank kind of, it was very stuffy and very tight. And so junior year came and all of a sudden I was failing a bunch of classes and I wasn't practicing. And I was like, why do I hate this so much? (laughs) And I was like, oh shit, maybe I just kind of hate this. You know, maybe I just don't like this. Um, and so after first semester junior year, I came home I, I had a scholarship at the time. I had a full scholarship to go to BU to do that thing. Uh, I lost it, you know, because my grades were bad and I wasn't practicing. And so uh, the choice came, like, do I really want to do this? Um, I decided not. I decided I did not really want to do that. Uh, I would just love to talk about, just for a minute here, about how um, I'm also from Illinois. And I know that we kind of grew up in a similar, not in the same area, but in, in a similar kind of area. And there's one thing, I've been here uh, since 2005 here in Massachusetts, and the something that's really interesting to me, having a child who is now, you know, entering seventh grade, who has also been in the um, music programs here, is it is mm-hmm. completely different than the way you and I experienced music really? education. And really? not better or worse, but I remember exactly what you described you know in fifth sixth grade um you know being in band having those lessons going to solo and ensemble competitions all over the state participating Mm -hmm. in youth uh orchestra and things like that and just like the you know is an absolute like ecosystem of music (laughs) education that in many discussions with people who grew up here they did not have really interesting yeah yeah, and in fact, it's uh, something that my wife and I uh, talk about every once in a while because in uh, she grew up in Lynn, and in in that school system, they did not have an arts program. Wow, they didn't have yeah. a music program. Oh and, my gosh! You know, she sometimes you know says that she's a little jealous that like I I grew up in you know this. It, it it a metropolitan area, you know, but yeah. thirty thousand people or so. And but I grew up in this area where there was like, you know, there was band and there's uh, choir and there's mm-hmm. like all of these like, you know, like you said, municipal band. We had the Kanky Valley Symphony Orchestra. We had the um, uh, Chicago Chamber Brass. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a ton. You know, like we had all of these things that were kind of built in, so that if you were a uh, young person coming up in that time period mm-hmm. there were so many opportunities exactly for you totally there's such so, like a, a yeah an inbuilt community for you to just be a part of if you wanted to you know and that's just luck of the draw i happen to be in the right place yeah absolutely you know? so yeah. I, I i love that you went through that because like when you were talking through through your experience i i remember those times like very yeah. very fondly totally um, uh, especially the uh, like the band directors, the educators, the people who like had dedicated their lives to educating youth in music. Yeah, um, there was such passion for it everywhere. You know, yeah, yeah. Really felt I that. mean, those people were a huge part of 
where I am today. Totally. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Completely agree. And like, even before like the, like the actual like lessons and performing came in, like my first musical memory is like second grade, uh, when we had to do like school plays and it was basically just a musical, like we would sing and dance and, you know, like perform for our, you know, our school. And I remember we did one and there was one part where everybody was like, everybody started clapping and they hadn't done that before, uh, during like, like the clapping on the two and the four. And like, that was where I was like, Holy cow, I actually really like this. This is like, yeah, I love performing. Like it's, it's making something happen that is really exciting and cool. And I think maybe that was like the little seed, the little germ that planted. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and that was just because it was that's, at my school. That sort of collaborative experience from when we were young, bringing that with you is a huge thing. You know, mm. it's just like it's those experiences have made me very much what I am today, and I just mm-hmm. I'm really glad that uh, we could talk about that. So you went back to Chicago, and you you're trying to figure out what you were going to do next. Move back in with my parents and my brother and my sister, sharing a room with my older brother once again. Yeah, just kind of went through it. Like I, I got a job doing mosquito abatement one summer. I like went to uh, like go learn how to sell vacuums one day and like just got random odd jobs. And then uh, right near me in Palatine, Illinois, there was this uh, shop called the Drum Pad, which you might know. But there, the Drum Pad was like an institutional drum and percussion shop in the Northwest suburbs. Yep. Um, they put on clinics all the time and it was just like a major place to go and like hang and be with drummers and so that was always like the coolest place for me it was kind of like a little mini church where i got to go and like play cymbals and play the drum sets that they had set up and go hang out and um i ended up uh able to get a job there because there was there's big dramatic story about how a bunch of the staff ended up leaving and opening their own shop vic's drum shop in um uh the chicago music exchange Uh, so up randomly just one day like 90 percent of the staff just up and left uh leaving jim the owner in just a shitty spot and i just happened to be in there one day and asked if he needed help and lo and behold he did and uh that's when i got to i got to be part of this community that i was really excited to be a part of this drummer musician community where all the teachers were full-time drummers and teachers and performers and uh you know everybody coming in was a drummer and a performer and I spent three years there um, just getting to know the nitty gritty of playing drum set, like because I had played drums all through high school, played drum set rather, and taken lessons, but I had never taken it as seriously as like the orchestral symphonic side. Um, and so this was my chance to like really dive into just drum set. Uh, and I ended up playing some GB gigs. I played in bands for a couple of years and just kind of got into what it was to be a, you know, a freelance drummer for, um, for a couple of years. And in that time, I, I stayed very close with a singer songwriter. Um, we ended up getting together at that time. And she was from Boston. We met uh, my freshman year at BU and she flew me out to play some shows with her. She came out here to play or out to Chicago to play some shows. And so I ended up moving back to Boston in 2013 initially to be with her. You know, the Northwest suburbs are great, but I did not see myself being there forever. You know, and seeing these drummers and (laughs) teachers, like older guys, you know, with families and doing the thing and I love them and they're great, but I just didn't really see that for myself, you know, teaching lessons and 
playing GB gigs on the weekends. Um, and so I went to Boston, Not again, not totally sure exactly what was going to happen. Uh, I ended up playing a fair amount of musical theater just because I was playing drum set and I could read music and I could play quietly, which is helpful uh, for musical theater. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I did a lot of musical theater. I played in a country GB band, you know, just like started getting into the network and getting to know Boston. When you say GB, what does that mean? Uh, general business band. So GB what? is a band that gets hired by like wedding bands and oh. event bands and does that kind of stuff. And I played in one that was just country music, but was hired to play usually like two or three 45 minute or hour long sets. So usually like a three hour gig, um, you know, get paid some money, play some drums and kind of do the thing. And I uh, uh, did that for like a year and a half. And Krista, or my girlfriend at the time, now my ex, she recommended she had just graduated Berkeley. Uh, she recommended I check it out. So I did because uh, I was like, I have, you know, two and a half years at BU. I should probably finish a degree and kind of do the thing. Um, and so I went to Berkeley initially to be like a drum set performance, like to do to do musical theater or just kind of, you know, get a degree and see what happens after that. And part of program at Berkeley is there's a music technology 101 course, MTech 101, that you have to take. Everybody has to take it. That's where you learn like GarageBand. You learn the basics of Logic, the basics of Pro Tools. and kind of using an interface and like the extreme basics of recording. And mine, again, luck has been on my side most of this time. And uh, my teacher at the time was a guy named Stephen Crows. And he came from LA. Uh, he did, he worked with Fleetwood Mac. He worked with Dolly Parton. He, wor he worked as a producer for a bunch of people. He was also a composer for uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Um, so he was just like a great producer performance guy. And um, I had the benefit of going to Berkeley a little older. So I was like 26 at the time, 25 or something like that. And so I made more of an effort to actually be, you know, close to my teachers and kind of meet the people and work the network a bit more than I did at BU. And so I went to meet Steven uh, and Steven was just the nicest, coolest guy ever. And he, you know, heard my story, the same one I'm telling you. And, um, you know, the whole time, like in high school and in college, I'd been recording a little bit, but like, you know, where I was most excited was in the studio, like recording with bands. And Steven heard that and he was like, well, you should check out the recording program that we have here at school. Like, you know, it's here and you can learn how to do the thing. And so I did and fell completely head over heels with recording. That's where I met uh, Mike Deneen, producer, legendary producer, engineer, um, Susan Rogers, absolutely incredible human and scientist. And, um, and so really got to know, you know, how to record and how to be in a studio and the nuts and bolts of signal flow and all that madness. And um, that's where I completely fell in love with recording. And that was 2016, 2015 ish. And so that's when I got my first internship and really dove deep into recording and producing. Yeah, let me ask you um, your experience with recording before that. Yep. period of time what was that like did you have like a general idea of like signal flow and how things worked or were you just more on the no. music side musician side and you were i was way in the music side i had recorded okay. a number of like eps and demos with bands like in the midwest um so i had been in the studio but i didn't know what a preamp was i didn't know what a condenser mic was was i didn't know any of that uh -huh. my first like hands-on experience with recording myself um was sophomore year at BU, I had GarageBand on my laptop. And like, you know, most 
or like a lot of folks, I had an acoustic guitar and convinced myself that I was writing songs and, you know, uh, had a couple demos of things that I wrote where I was, you know, playing the guitar part. And then I had a djembe because of course I had a djembe and, uh, uh you know, overdub some djembe onto it to give it some vibe or whatever. And, uh, I love it. so that was, that was really it, you know? So that was it. But when you started going into the studio and getting familiar with like, you know, all of the gear and the controller and everything, how was it natural? Was it just kind of like, okay, everything makes sense or, you know, was no, there a little bit of a learning curve? I had a huge learning curve. Um, yeah. It took a long time to really understand, you know, how things go from A to B and uh, it, you know, because getting to know, recording is getting to know electricity and electronics and so it took me a long time to get around that side of it and again i was a, you know a benefactor of really good education the program at berkeley really took you through those nuts and bolts of how analog studios work and you know how things are supposed to work um so i would say it took me you know a couple of years to really get comfy being in a studio but um but i was also Again, there's, you know, I have some ambition for sure. And so like it was, um, I, I took every chance I could to be in the studio and I had a lot of band friends that I was, you know, asking to go to the studio and just trying to find every chance I could to be in to practice and learn. And they had a couple opportunities where you could record ensembles um, a couple days a week. And I got to do that for a couple different ensembles. And um, yeah, I just kind of took advantage of what was in the system. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you recorded outside of the Berkeley studios? Yes. The first time I recorded outside of the Berkeley studios was, uh, so my girlfriend at the time, Krista, she was a singer songwriter. She was produced by, uh, this guy called Charles Haynes, uh, Charlie Mike's Charles is my homie. Love Charles. He's actually from uh, East St. Louis. So we got some, uh, Midwest blood. All right. Uh, and Charles uh, had a studio. He's had a couple studios. He, he bounces around. But Charles uh, recorded Krista, and I got to meet Charles and kind of be in the studio with them and kind of hang out when I was just learning. Um, and Charles was all about, you know, vibe first. You know, it's about the man and not the machine um, kind of vibe. And so I got to really learn, like, how sessions worked and, like, how, you know, we're here to do a thing and you know recording is not just about the gear but um but so anyways so i got to be in on some sessions and i got to intern with charles at his studio herd studio in, in roxbury mass um so the first time i got to record i think it was a band that i was pretty good friends with called um honeysuckle and honeysuckle no i hired so part of one of the things they have at Berkeley is like a recording contest. Uh, and I, of course, was like, I'm going to produce one of Krista's songs that I really like and like enter the recording contest. And, uh, and so I hired some musicians to do, to do the song and we recorded at Herd Studio. And that, that was, I think, my first recording experience yeah. outside and, of Berkeley. And you were just like, you felt like you were in your element yeah, just, yeah you know, the great. studio is always the coolest place for me, you know, making something that didn't exist before you walked in and, you know, is hopefully better for, you know, 
having gone through that process and like that, just that finding that inspiration, that cool thing in the studio is, is always like the most exciting thing to me. And I think when I was playing in that band in Chicago, like in like 2009 or 10, we had this song and we went into the studio and while we were there, we realized like, ah, oh, the bridge, what if we did this thing instead? And like, it turned into this whole other thing, like in that moment. And that was like the coolest yeah. thing to me. It's huge. Um, yeah. So what was your transition like from kind of learning the ropes of uh, being in the studio and production to kind of how you got your start and what you're doing now? It's a hard question because it, there's, it wasn't like a linear path from like directly from A to B. It was like I was starting to work some sessions at Herd just because I was really anxious to start working and not, you know, just be learning. So like every internship I've had, my goal, number one goal has been for the internship to end as soon as it possibly could so that I could be working. Yeah. Um, and so like... I'm a big believer of not waiting until you feel like you're hundred percent ready to start doing stuff. And so pretty soon after working at herd for a bit, I started and getting some sessions as an engineer, you know, seeing some cool sessions. Uh, the best part about being an engineer and intern is getting to see how folks work their sessions and you just get to kind of fit into it. And so there's a lot of learning to do of just like watching people work their stuff. Um, yeah, there were a couple of singer-songwriters that I got to know and, you know, got to trust. And as, as you know, like working in audio is like relationships, you know, building relationships and pulling on threads, knowing that like it takes a lot of time to get to a working relationship. It's not, it's very, and often, at least for me, that like I meet somebody and immediately start working with them. Or at least it was then. Um, right. And so... Yeah. So, you know, you just make friends and go to shows of artists that you believe in and they see you at their shows and they see you working at studios. And so they feel comfortable coming to you for studio stuff. And so I got to work with that band Honeysuckle that I really, really love. Um, and I got to work on their L LP with them and that LP like did pretty well, like for them, like they got, you know, a couple of Boston music award nominations and they were touring a lot and really doing the thing. And so that I think was probably the first like production where I was like, okay, like this works, you know, like it works for me, it works for them and it right. feels good, you know? And so that's when I started really, you know, charging for the work that I do and, you know, taking the business side of it a bit more seriously that like, if I want to make a career out of doing just this, I need to start charging for it and I need to treat it in some respects like a business and, you know, get paid for the work that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so you are a staff engineer at Q division Yep. in, uh, Cambridge. Or is it technically, it's technically Cambridge? It's technically yeah, Cambridge, it's right on the right? line though, I right on Ringe Ave. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, tell me about how that transpired. So, how did you get into uh, Q yeah. So I'd been working at Herd for a, a couple of years, and uh, Herd was a co-ownership between Charles, who owned all the gear, and this guy that we called Skywalker. I'm not sure where that na name came from, but that's 
how he went. I'm pretty sure his name is John, but we all called him Skywalker. And <laughs> we, we need can, a name. We, we can, need yeah, a name. Seriously. Um, like that. <laughs> and so Skywalker, his whole thing was he was the lead architecture designer for all the installation art at Burning Man. Um, that was his like main gig. Oh. Uh, so was he, he was hardly ever at the studio. He would only ever drop in. It was just kind of a creative space. I think we think that he just liked being in a creative environment. And so he let Charles use the space. But so Skywalker was hired by Fire Festival. Do you remember Fire Festival? Uh, and so- oh yeah, yeah. Fire Festival was the uh, failed festival that was supposed to be on a private island that was started by some uh, investors. Exactly. In ja so uh, Skywalker was quote unquote hired by uh, Fire Festival to do a bunch of work, and he invested some large sum of money. I'm not sure exactly what it was, um, but he invested in material and started building and working uh, and the bottom fell out of all that. And um, that is when herd closed, unfortunately. So we had to get out of there and kind of mm-hmm. find a new space. And part of what I loved about the herd space was that it was just a, a real creative vibe to be in. Like you walked in and you just kind of felt like you were already kind of apart from the world. It's like you were just, in a place just to do what you're there to do. Uh, And like, it was one of those classic, like kind of scary neighborhoods where folks, you know, it's like in a building that people, whenever people came to the studio, you would get the call of like, I think I'm here. Like this is the address, but I don't know what I'm walking into. Uh, And you had to like open a big garage door and go up some stairs past like an art studio where they were always doing some like crazy woodwork or some crazy shit. And, open this big sliding door and like come into herd where there's like a Skywalker was really into Buffalo for some reason. Like we had like Buffalo pillows and like photos of Buffalo around. And, but the first thing you saw when you walked in was just a giant Buffalo head mounted on the wall. And so like, it was just like immediate (laughs) vibes, you know, like it just felt, it just felt really good and kind of weird in a good way to be there. Um, but so that became really important to me of just like a place that feels right to be in to record, which isn't true of all studios. Um, or at least that, you know, doesn't connect with everybody. Not every studio connects with everybody. Let's put it that way. Um, and so it became really important to me to connect to the space that I was in. Um, and so Charles found a new space down in Quincy mass, which was, pretty inconveniently far from where I was living at the time. And the space was in, you know, a basement of a bank. Like it, it was just like a very office feeling, short ceilings, just kind of stuffy and didn't feel very good. And so uh, around that time, uh, probably 2018, uh, unfortunately that was around the time that Mike Deneen passed um, and Q held a memorial for him. And I had taken a couple of classes with him. So I, we weren't close, but we were friendly. Um, and so I went to the memorial with a, a friend of mine, Claire Go. Claire was uh, an intern at the time and great singer, songwriter, musician, studio person. She's now out in LA, but um, she was like my best friend at the time. And so Claire and I went to Mike's memorial at the Misesian Hall in Watertown. And 
being there like among the Q community and family, like it was a huge event. There were probably like two or 300 people there. Um, all just like completely right, you know, yeah. brokenhearted over Mike, who was this like, you know, major community tentpole in, in the Boston area. And um, Q was like just a major thing. And I had always known about Q and I had started taking some sh- taking some sessions there because Heard had closed and I, you know, I'd still had production clients. So I'd started bringing some sessions in and kind of getting to know the studio and the, like the assistant engineers there and some of the staff, but I had, you know, not really made a huge relationship. But once I got to the memorial, it was like, wow, this is like a really special community that they've built of people that really care about community and care about this, this thing that we do. And so that just felt really special. And that was when I applied and, you know, that was on a Saturday and I'm pretty sure Sunday morning I applied for an internship as soon as I could just to be part of that community and, and knowing that, you know, I needed a space, but also I just really wanted to be part of this thing. Um, and so I was very fortunate to, you know, cue the way they do it is on an internship, you just have a set day that you go in. And so I had Sundays, um, which was a good day because, you know, weekends are typically the time when the cooler sessions come in. And so I got to intern for a year or so. And I had a bunch of experience having worked at Herd and worked on some cool projects with Charles. And so they started trusting me pretty early to work some sessions. And um, like I said before, my aim with any internship is to end it immediately. And so as soon as I got the opportunity to start doing some work, uh, that's when my internship ended. And that's when I got to just engineer some sessions for Q. And it's been a really great, you know, that was starting 2023. It's like five years ago. So when you started working at Q after your internship, what was your purview of Boston music and your part in the Boston music community. Where do you kind of see yourself in the uh, community like that? It's a, it's a it's a big question, and so it brings a lot of thoughts. I love big questions. Me too. And so you know what I want for things that I produce. I specifically have like built my kind of I'll use your word purview of like all the things that I do so that production is not necessarily the one thing that is like the bill payer or like the money maker, which don't get me wrong, it is part of it, but I don't want production to be the thing that I rely on to pay the bills because I think making records is a very special thing and I don't want it to ever feel like work proper like something that i have to do so that i can eat um sure and i think that energy for me can make it toxic and not not for the music and not for the art which is what i really want so that's kind of where i see myself in terms of the thing that i want to provide is like a safe space and a dedicated space to take seriously the art of record making and to like like it's important and it's hard and it requires like presence of mind and like dedication and focus and not stress. And so I guess to answer your question of the thing of the space that I want to provide in the community is, I guess, just a a safe, hardworking, dedicated space to make something really great and unique. Yeah. 
Do you work out of any other studios besides Q? I do. I work at a studio uh, in Parsonsfield, Maine. I should say I'm actually based in Portland, Maine. I'm no longer based in Boston. I still work at Q and I'm still in Boston quite a bit, but Portland is now home base. And so about an hour straight west of Portland in the middle of nowhere is this incredible white farmhouse called Great North Sound. And Great North is a destination homestyle recording studio um, where instead of like booking a few hours at a time at, at a place like Q or at, you know at, at a lot of studios where you just kind of book one-off sessions where you go in and you know kind of do a project piecemeal that way. Great North's whole design is that you know it's literally a home that has a recording studio in it now and so there's four bedrooms a kitchen you know beautiful property that it's on uh and so the mentality there is to instead of booking kind of one-off piecemeal sessions to book like a week or four or five days to hunker down and like be in just that project and so i've really gotten to know and that the reason i started working at great north was very similar between herd and q was because q closed um, powered down for a move um, in 2021, had some clients, needed a place to work, and had been recommended Great North by a few folks, and met with Sam Kassir, the owner, uh, also a killer musician, killer producer, great engineer. And Sam and I connected on a lot of the, the ways in, that we care about music and make music and um, got to know his space and have been working there ever since. Uh, Colin, I just want to thank you and express my gratitude for you being on the show today. Uh, I really appreciate your perspective and your, you know, stories about how you uh, grew up as a musician and your transition from being a musician to a recording engineer and producer. And uh, I think it's a story mm -hmm. that a lot of people can relate to. Uh, mm -hmm. I definitely can. <laughs> Coming from the Midwest, <laughs> you know, as you did, and uh, being a recording engineer here as well. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Attention New England audio professionals. If you would like to attend one of our social gatherings, the next Boston AES social gathering will be at Q Division Studios on September 20th, 2023. Please go to bostonaes.org and sign up for our newsletter. Instructions on RSVPing for this event will be contained within.